In this week's episode, we will take a look at how Poshmark and ThreadUp continue to court big fashion for big money. We've got some good news and some not so good news from the fine folks over at eBay, Etsy, and more. And we'll have a top 10 recap for my week last week that is not all books. What is up, Galaxians? Welcome to yet another of the weekly episodes of the Galaxy CD's Rocks and Flips Reseller Talk podcast. My name is Ryan, and I am coming to you from a very chilly Ohio. And we went from really nice to really cold here really quickly. (laughs) Uh, Very surprised to get up this morning and see frost everywhere and hear that it was 28 degrees. So it has already cooled off substantially here in the basement. So uh, if you see me shivering or hear my teeth chattering, that's because it's cold down here already. Anyway, welcome to the show. If you're new here, uh, my name is Ryan and I'm a full-time reseller, part-time YouTuber and podcaster working out of my home here in the basement in the greater Cincinnati area. And this channel is all about the flip life. We're going to cover some reselling news and have kind of a top 10 recap of what I sold last week. Uh, Some interesting things to see over there. If you are joining me live this morning over on the YouTube, thank you for stopping by. Please feel free to comment in the uh, chat window. If you're catching the replay or listening to the podcast, please feel free to leave a comment over there. Or if you're listening, uh, you can shoot me an email at galaxycds at gmail.com. If you are here on YouTube, please do me a favor and smack that thumbs up button. If you are not a subscriber to either the channel or the podcast, uh, and this is your jam, please consider doing so. With that, news updates. It's time for the reselling news. We're going to start off with Poshmark, who last week, literally moments after I finished (laughs) uh, last week's episode, announced that they are launching the first of its kind, quote, brand closet program, opening its social marketplace to brands. So they continue to focus on bigger business, bigger fashion brands, and have now opened up the platform to them. For the first time in the company's history, large-scale brands can connect directly with Poshmark's millions of shoppers and deliver the social shopping experience that today's consumers crave. The Brand Closet program allows brands to directly connect, converse with, and sell to Poshmark's community of over 80 million users with a suite of social merchandising tools specially designed to engage with their fans on Poshmark. Brands are able to share limited-time products, through the Drops Soon feature, conduct one-on-one clienteling through My Shoppers and drive awareness through branded Posh Parties. These social selling features are uniquely designed to reach Poshmark's community who are largely millennial or Gen Z hyper-engaged and passionate about interacting with their favorite brands. Uh, They say, we are thrilled to open our social marketplace more widely to brands, empowering them to build loyal, lasting connections with a coveted audience, tap into a new sales channel, and bring shoppers the kind of personalized service that is all too rare in e-commerce, said Manish Chandra, founder and CEO of Poshmark. By connecting brands directly to our community of highly engaged, deeply passionate shoppers and re-commerce enthusiasts, we're building a stronger, more vibrant marketplace. It's a win for everyone. You can let me know <laughs> uh, in the comments if you think that is, in fact, a win 
for everyone. Uh, since 2020, apparently Poshmark has piloted brand closets with a few large brands uh, to develop this program, which is now rolled out for additional brands and retailers. To join the brand closet program offers access to the following features. Uh, the social merchandising features drops soon to drive engagement and conversions. My shoppers tool to drive sales through one-on-one clienteling and posh stories to showcase new arrivals and inspire shoppers. They will also have access to listing videos, brand awareness and customer loyalty opportunities, official closet placement on their brand page, targeted push and email campaigns to drive repeat engagement and branded posh parties to encourage brand discovery turnkey commerce and logistics solutions enterprise grade inventory management tools to help support high volume selling integrated shipping third-party logistics integration support with partners such as commerce hub and dedicated customer success teams so poshmark is really going after this um I guess really it's hard to blame these companies for going where the money is a, a small time resellers in the scheme of things. We add up cumulatively, but if they can add someone large who will do big volumes of business, it's hard to fault them, especially now that they're public, they're responsible to shareholders and a bunch of other stuff, but they are definitely leaning in to big fashion as is thread up. There is a report uh, over on Retail Dive. It was a study done by Wells Fargo that indicates that ThreadUp's third-party platform may be more lucrative than its actual secondhand clothing sales. Uh, ThreadUp Side Gig, which is a resale platform called Resale as a Service, has expanded its client list by over 30% in the last year, which is something we've talked about numerous times on this show. It could grow from about 30 now to more than 200 in the next five years, and this could ultimately end up being more than 300, according to the Wells Fargo research. ThreadUp collects monthly fees from those clients as well as a portion of those sales. That revenue could grow from an estimated $2 million this year to more than $300 million by 2025 and approach $925 million four years after that, according to this report. The resale site's 30 or so partners include Madewell, Walmart, Everlane, eBay. eBay. How does that work? <laughs> uh, Farfetch and Gap most recently adding their most impressive band partner, Adidas, Wells Fargo analysts said. So uh, this is a big win. We've talked about this numerous times on this show for ThreadUp itself. Uh, it's a win-win for the company and its clients, and it bolsters analyst thesis that the booming resale market itself, which they see is the next big disruptor to the retail industry, following, of course, recent disruptions from e-commerce and off-price retailers. The company also recently acquired the European retail platform Remix, uh, which is good for them because predictions are that the European secondhand market is set to double by 2025, driving the combined U.S. and European resale market to some $68 billion. So the point of all of this is to remind, particularly you fashion resellers, that you're going to be coming up against increased competition and pricing and profit pressures kind of from both ends of this thing. So obviously the big companies will want to buy their own stuff so they can feature them in their own stores on their own Poshmark closet or whatever it is. So they're going to be willing to pay up 
to get that stuff, which may make it a little more difficult and will certainly put market pricing pressure on your sourcing. They also, because of the volume that they're going to be able to do, may be able to sell those same goods for less money, even though they're paying these other firms fees. So you're going to start to face some pressure from both sides of the pricing model, both on the sourcing end and on the sales end. So if you're a fashion reseller, uh, obviously this is something that you need to watch. This is not the fun and sexy part of reselling. I know it's a lot more fun to show (laughs) Uh, a Goodwill find where you found a shirt for a dollar that you sold for 50. But this is potentially going to become increasingly more difficult for you if you're a fashion reseller. So uh, let us know what you think about that. But uh, be aware that this is this is not going away, and if anything, it's going to continue to grow, especially with the money involved and with these bigger players getting into it. Moving on to Etsy. Uh, Etsy just kind of keeps shooting itself in the foot, and I'm not totally sure what they're trying to accomplish here, but sellers are on edge, according to this article on e-commerce bites, as Etsy encourages buyers to open cases. Etsy is encouraging buyers to open cases against sellers if they haven't resolved a request within 48 hours. A seller with the handle Chrysalism said on an Etsy discussion board thread that they were shocked when they went to send a message to a seller about a purchase and saw the following verbiage directly below the message field. Heads up, once you message a seller, they have 48 hours to resolve your request. If they are unable to help, come back here to open a case with Etsy. For their part, sellers said they were unaware of any policy requiring them to fix a problem in 48 hours or else. Uh, That user said they typically take weekends off but leave an auto-reply message for customers. They ask, if a customer asks a question on Friday night and I reply Monday morning, am I breaking some secret new Etsy policy and endangering my shop? I'm not happy about this development, especially since Etsy seems to be encouraging customers to open cases. Another user replied, it does seem to encourage cases. It makes the problem worse because it doesn't really encourage the buyer to try to work things out with the seller. The seller said the inevitable holiday delivery delays, which we've talked about repeatedly here, will likely result in a case opened. And with every case opened, they can place a reserve on your account. I'm feeling like the little guys are being weeded out slowly. Uh, There was another message that said, heads up. A customer will be eligible to open a case against you if you don't respond to their message in 48 hours. Respond by 11-1-2021 to avoid this. So a lot of this, I think, again, ties back into Etsy's Star Seller Program where they want sellers to respond to buyers or potential buyers in a quick manner. Uh, There was one seller who did say that they understood Etsy's change, writing that many sellers do not follow through. They don't answer messages for days. Sellers that are proficient in customer service bear the brunt of results for sellers that do not have that proficiency. And that probably is true to some extent. I think we talked about it last week. Some of these companies are like eBay with the item specifics. They're trying to force less diligent sellers to become more diligent. The problem, of course, is that you always end up punishing your better sellers as a result because they're the ones that actually care (laughs) Uh, and will make an effort to get this stuff done correctly. So this, if you're on Etsy, uh, as I talk about, I'm not an Etsy seller. 
I've actually looked into it for some of my old vintage books and have just decided I'm not really at this point interested in participating given all the shenanigans going on over there. But if you are an Etsy seller and you've seen this change, uh, let us know in the comments what you think about it. Uh, eBay for Business, their, their lobbying firm, sent out a message last week. You may recall several months ago we talked about the uh, the program that was going through Congress, the Informed Consumers Act, which was going to require a, a reseller to put a lot of personally identifiable information in their listings. You were going to have to list your name, your address, your phone number. You were going to have to send the site a copy of your driver's license and just all kinds of stuff that for the typical mom and pop seller was pretty invasive. eBay and some of the other reselling platforms had been lobbying against the big retailers, the big box stores who were pushing this to try to, they say, level the playing field. I say to further dominate the playing field. But nonetheless, uh, eBay sent this message out uh, that the Inform Act has been updated and a lot of those more heinous requirements, at least in the current version of the bill, have been removed. The highlights of the updated Inform Act include the removal of the burdensome requirements. Marketplaces would no longer be required to collect seller's driver's license and other unnecessary information as a means of verifying who each seller is and how to contact them. eBay, for their part, said they already have advanced trust and safety measures in place to verify the legitimacy of seller's timelines and requirements for seller verification have been extended as well so as not to burden sellers. It also will protect privacy of sellers. Sellers will no longer be required to disclose with each product listing. I can't even imagine <laughs> with, uh, I'm at like 7,200 listings. I'm going to go in and even in a bulk fashion, add all that information to 7,000 plus listings. Uh, but they will not have to disclose on those listings now, full name, address, phone number, and email address of their business. Again, eBay for their part says they already provide a transparent online shopping process where a buyer knows who is selling each product, can see that seller's reviews and other items listed, where an item listed for sale is located, and a means to contact the seller directly. The other change, the federal standard, this new Informed Consumers Act contains a federal preemption standard which would prevent a patchwork of confusing state laws. We'll talk about this in a minute, but there are multiple states who are already attempting to put in place something like the original version of this Inform Act. So this is good news. If this federal Inform Act passes, it will supersede all of the states' acts that are similar. States' rights be damned. We don't care about that. <laughs> uh, the federal government has taken over everything. So uh, the federal status... While eBay supports this new Informed Consumers Act, there's still a lot of work that needs to be done to prevent big box retailers and proponents of the original version of the bill from trying to make changes which would burden individual and small business sellers. And for the state's status legislation mirroring the federal Informed Consumers Act has been introduced in 18 state legislatures this year. Nearly everyone that has taken up this type of legislation has rejected such proposals. One state, Arkansas, did pass legislation due to the aggressive lobbying by big box retailers. So uh, I will put a link to this, as always, to all of these stories in the show notes and the video description below. But if you'd like to sign up over at uh, eBay's business arm so that you can be kept up to date on this and the rest of their lobbying activities, 
you can do so, but this is this is good news for small resellers who were really, really concerned that this was going to be a problem. Continuing on with eBay, they announced uh, their quarterly results last week, and it was kind of a mixed bag over there. They grew their seller fees, not surprisingly, uh, but not seller sales. Interesting. Sales on eBay dropped 10% in the three months ended September 30th year over year. The number of active buyers on eBay also declined by 5%, but eBay, this article points out, put more in its own pocket in the third quarter thanks to collecting more fees from sellers. eBay attributed much of that growth in its revenue to managed payments. It's now processing 90% of the sales volume globally with over 18 million sellers now migrated to the new payments system. Uh, E-commerce Bytes had run an article, which I do not have a link for today, but they noted that when shipping costs rise, eBay makes more money because they charge you a final value fee also on the shipping costs. So you are paying more in fees to eBay in addition to paying more to the post office this holiday season for the surcharge on shipping. So you're getting you're getting squeezed all around and eBay is making essentially free money on rate increases elsewhere. So uh, good business model. Good business model. Uh, they do not break down incrementally how that shakes out for them in terms of profit, what what they make additionally on these surcharges. I wouldn't either. <laughs> uh, eBay also said that they took more fees from sellers who advertise growing promoted listings ad revenue by 12% in the quarter. Uh, they say, this article says that in a simplistic take, That means in aggregate, eBay sellers paid 12% more in advertising fees for 10% fewer sales. And I suppose if you looked at the big picture, that would be true. I think for any individual seller, that probably would not necessarily be the case. You, as an individual, you may have paid a little more in fees, but you likely also sold more. The ones who may have been impacted by the drop in sales were the ones who did not take advantage of promoted listings. Um, Steve Resale Dojo, I think, just did a video last week. If you want to check that out, check out his channel. He talked about he had run an experiment by bumping up the percentage he was using on his promoted listings. He spent a little bit of extra money to make quite a bit of extra sales. I won't uh, spoil the lead on that. If you want to check that out, go check out uh, Resale Dojo's channel and look for that video. Again, the number of active buyers, they say, declined 5%. um, And eBay said that they spent less on certain forms of marketing. So they apparently were okay with that. Uh, Again, as eBay has talked about repeatedly, they referred to low-value buyers versus high-value buyers as they had back in August when they reported second-quarter earnings. eBay said it has shifted its marketing towards this quote-unquote upper funnel marketing, events, partnerships, and working with social influencers. It's also enabling sellers to drive purchases from repeat buyers through the use of seller-funded coupons. So when you run a coupon, of course, you're giving the discount. eBay does promote for you that you are running that coupon. Put a big X percent off with coupon in your listing, uh, but you're subsidizing that potential increase in revenue. Some other highlights on their call. For those who've missed coupons and the eBay Bucks loyalty program, uh, eBay had this to say, sales and marketing expenses were lower in part 
due to a reduction in coupons and rewards program that were previously targeted towards, again, these low-value buyers. Uh, It also, of course, shifted some of the marketing costs to sellers through those coupons that we just talked about. eBay also said that they were going to announce uh, 3D image capability for sneakers that will give a 360-degree view of those items. It is a very early test pilot by invitation only with just some select sellers. So most people won't have access to that right away, but it is something that comes soon. They also noted during their post-earnings conference call that third quarter gross merchandise volume was actually up 9% compared to the same quarter two years ago, an indication that the pandemic sales boost it got in Q3 of 2020 was temporary. Last year, their growth for that quarter was 22%. They also said that in the U.S., sales grew 22% compared to the same quarter in 2019. You're going to start, I think, seeing a lot of these big platforms, eBay, Poshmark, Amazon, comparing their results to a pre-pandemic number in order to make them look better. Because everybody, everybody's having a drop as the pandemic at least wanes, or if it is not over. and Comparing year over year, which is typically what these companies do, it's not necessarily the most attractive look for them. So you're starting to see them talk about, well, compared to two years ago, we're here. So growth is still there, but it's not at the pace that it was previously. Continuing on with eBay, we talked a couple of weeks ago that eBay was, that the U.S. Post Office, rather, was suspending operations. They were not shipping items to some specific countries. The two biggest ones were Australia and New Zealand, but that eBay was continuing to ship through both their global shipping program and their international shipping service to those countries. Last week, eBay announced that while they are committed to ensuring consistent, reliable delivery to international markets with eBay International Standard Delivery, Due to increased international shipping costs to Australia and New Zealand, they would temporarily be increasing rates to those two markets. That went into effect on Sunday, October 31st. There is a link where you can click in the article to see the updated rate list. They say that while this increase is temporary, it will remain in effect until further notice. USPS, for their part, continues to add countries to the list of places they are not currently delivering to because of the pandemic and related details with that. So be sure to check on that. If you are part of the eBay International Standard or Global Shipping Programs, you're not affected by the stoppages, but you may be, you won't be affected by the price because the customer actually pays that directly to eBay, but that may impact sales as those fees go up. They're already fairly astronomical, particularly in the global shipping program. I had a sale last week that the customer paid essentially $40 in shipping to get some items shipped overseas. So the shipping through those programs is pretty expensive. Last thing we've got, this is kind of unrelated to reselling, but they mentioned Etsy in this article. So I wanted to talk about it. Shiba Inu uh, is a cryptocurrency and it is now bigger than Robinhood, Etsy, and Pinterest. I know there's a lot of resellers that I listen to on podcasts and watch on YouTube that are actually invested in things like Bitcoin and the various cryptocurrencies. So I thought this was really interesting. 
Uh, it dropped my highlight, so I can't see. But Sheba has jumped dramatically over the last couple of months. It is up. Uh, where is it here? The, the market cap is... $40.76 billion. It has jumped 1,083.5% over the last 30 days. It is now a bigger company in terms of market capitalization than Robinhood, where they're supposedly going to be available for purchase here shortly, Etsy, and Pinterest. So if you're, a, if you're an investor in crypto, are you in Shiba? Uh, interestingly, I am. And my initial investment was $350, which bought me 50 million coins. They are now worth, at last I checked, a little over $3,000. So um, amazing growth there. I would like, I'd like it to continue <laughs> uh, to move in that direction. So potentially I could, uh, I could retire. That would be awesome. <laughs> uh, let me know. In the comments, are you are you a Bitcoin or other investor over there? Speaking of comments, I'm going to jump over there real quick, and we'll do some good mornings here. TRB Collectibles, thank you for joining. As always, Rebel Junk, thank you. I know you've got a show coming up at 11, so once you leave here, be sure to go check out their live as well. Prenny's Prize Possessions, good morning to everybody. Uh, Rebel Junk, yeah, it was frosty this morning in Northwest Ohio, too. I imagine it was chilly up there, but better health blessings. Good morning. Got a seat up front and center this morning. I appreciate that. TRB Collectibles says, speaking of shipping slowdowns, has anyone seen shipping delays yet? Yes, I have multiple items that I have had customers reach out to me already. Uh, items are running behind. Tracking scans are not happening as consistently as you would like to see. So already, and again, Part of that is obviously the COVID situation and all the other things with the U.S. Post Office. But like we talked about last week, with a lot of people doing shopping early, merchandise volumes being shipped have already jumped probably well beyond what the expectation was for the month of October. So, of course, slowdowns are already here. Uh, TRB Collectibles says, I've yet to use a coupon, but really like that they are option, such potential with them. I actually ran one last week, and I can't say that I had great success with it. My sales for the week actually were a little bit down compared to previous. Uh, the eBay stats, when you go in and you look at your promotions, it said the sales lift from the coupon was X amount or whatever. But I ultimately, I had less watchers last week. Um, and I just ran a global coupon. I just put it out there for everybody. Every item had the offer on it. And I felt like in in my particular case with that one-week coupon that I ran, uh, essentially, I just gave away that percentage. I didn't really gain any business. My transaction volume was exactly the same. So it's difficult to judge, but I didn't really see much of a lift off of it. It is nice to have the ability to do the coded coupon. And it is something that I may do down the road, but in a little more targeted fashion where I send it to previous buyers or people who have made offers and that sort of thing. So if you've tried coupons, let me know what you think about that. Francisco Martin Del Campo, thank you for joining in. Uh, TRB Collectibles asks, do you, I think I would retire as an eBay seller? Well, that's kind of my plan. <laughs> uh, I figure I can do this for quite a while. Maybe I can't haul the big Rubbermaid totes full of 
70 pounds of books or whatever around when I'm 70 years old. But I think I can do this, maybe not at the level I'm doing it now, into quote-unquote retirement. Um, I would probably start to back it off as I got into my late 60s, but this is something I could see doing for side money for a long, long time, unless I became independently wealthy, of course. <laughs> uh, and Rebel Junk says, thanks for the shout out. Hey, anytime. I appreciate I appreciate you always stopping by here Wednesday morning before your show. I know getting, the, getting a live setup takes a little bit of time, so I do appreciate it. With that all being said, let's get into... Some what sold last week action. It was another week where, again, I had the coupon running. Sales volume was about the same. I've got some sales on both Mercari and eBay this week. We're going to start off, and it's not all books. So there's still a lot of books for you book lovers out there, but it's not all books. This first sale was over on Mercari. It was a set of five books. There was a collection of collector's books from the 1950s from a publisher called Gramercy. Um, it was essentially American silver, American glass, American crystal. There were five different ones that I found. This was part of the free haul that I did a couple of weeks ago. Individually, they were not worth a whole bunch. $4 free shipping, which is pointless. So I put these together in a lot. I was fortunate they were all in pretty good shape. They all had their dust jackets. So I lotted them together, listed them for... Over on Mercari, I listed them for $30 with free shipping. I received an offer of $25, which I went ahead and took. They cost about $4.45 to ship. So after fees, this is probably $15 or $18 net profit because they were free to me. So if you can find individually, or sometimes it pays to just pick these things up individually and kind of hang on to them until you get enough to make a set. But if you find a set of these Gramercy kind of antique collector's books, they're not terrible, again, if you put them in a lot. Speaking of old books, here's another one from 1940, The Valley Beyond by William Byron Mowry. This was on Sundial Press, which is a really old publisher. It was in its dust jacket, which was in reasonably good condition. I had this listed for $34.99 or best offer over on eBay. I was running it as part of a 25% off promotion, and someone bought it for $26.24. This is one that I had picked up at an estate sale several months ago as part of a fairly large lot that I own for about $0.75 cents per book. Another book. I said it wouldn't be all books, and it won't be. <laughs> uh, just bear with me. Uh, Family Living from 1950, a second printing by Evelyn Millis Duvall. This was an illustrated hardcover kind of a home economics textbook from the 1950s. This was something I picked up at an estate sale for a dollar. I had it listed for $34.99 plus shipping. Um, I had it in my 25% off sale and someone bought it as well for $26.24. Again, some old textbooks, particularly when you start to get back into 40s, 50s, early 60s era, are definitely worth looking up. They can bring pretty reasonable money. This was a, another book that was part of a collection that was part of the free haul. So again, this is something I have absolutely no money in. The American Heritage Junior Library. These were published in the mid to late 1960s. 
there was a whole bunch of them, and some of them are only worth six, eight, ten dollars. Some of them, particularly the World War II era ones, are pretty valuable. I have another one that I sold for twenty-five bucks that I didn't. I'm not showing today, but I sold this one, the Carrier War in the Pacific, for thirty dollars on a best offer from a listing price of thirty-four ninety-nine plus shipping. So if you are out and about, and you see the collection of uh, American Heritage Junior Library books, and they're in any kind of shape at all, particularly the ones relating to World War II, look to be worth anywhere from $25 to $35 a piece. So, again, if the estate sale is asking 5 bucks for them, maybe it's not so much fun, but in the case of this one, this was part of my free haul, so we will definitely take it. These are not books, but they're audio books. So, does that count? <laughs> uh, is that a book? Does that count as a book? Anyway, I picked these up at an estate sale early summer, late spring. I paid a dollar a piece for these. Um, Contagious Christianity, a study of First Thessalonians by Charles Swindle and James Hands-On Christianity Insight for Living. These were both cassette tape audiobooks. I think the one was maybe eight tapes. The other one was 10, something like that. Like I said, I picked them up for a buck a piece. They sold uh, both to one buyer for $16.99 each with free shipping. So not huge money, but the fact that the customer bought both of them together saved me a little money on shipping and made that an all right sale. I don't do particularly well with audiobooks for some reason. I know a lot of folks seem to do fairly decent with those, but I've not had great success with them. I haven't bought big lots of hundreds of them, so I my point of reference is a little bit limited, but they don't seem to do, for me at least, as well as traditional books. This was an interesting piece, and I I probably overpaid for it, but I bought it on a flyer because I just never had seen anything like it. Uh, from 1968, a Vietnam War era, United States Air Force coverall um, had its label in it, K2B, flying, man size, small, short. I mean, it had all the specifics. It was a really interesting kind of historical piece of kit from the United States Air Force in the Vietnam era. I paid $20 for it uh, just because I thought it was a cool, interesting piece to have. I originally listed it for $49.99 plus shipping. I had a couple people ask questions on it here and there, but nobody had really made an offer. Last week, I got an offer of $40 plus shipping on it, and I went ahead and just busted out of that. Um, it made a little bit of money, not a ton, but it was just a really interesting piece. Uh, probably, I should have fought a little harder to maybe get it down to 10 bucks <laughs> uh, to make a little bit more money on it, but it was still, it was kind of a cool thing, and 40 bucks plus shipping is better than a kick in the head. Next up, uh, still going through the Schwinn bicycle catalogs. I'm down to the, a really relative handful now, but I had one buyer that made offers on three different of these. I had them listed for $23.99 or best offer. This individual offered me $18 a piece for three of them. Again, three of them shipped for the same price as an individual one. So I saved, gosh, $6 and something on shipping, which made this a little bit more worthwhile. I own these for about 12 and a half cents a piece. So I got less than 40 cents in this and they sold for a total of $54 with free shipping. So again, old Schwinn, any of the old bike catalogs, there were a few other brands that were mixed in there, Raleigh and Specialized, and they've all done 
really remarkably well. So very happy with that buy. Train magazines, not model railroads this time, but actual railroads. Railfan and Railroad Magazine, I had a customer that reached out with a couple of offers on uh, Volume 22 and Volume 28 from the early 2000s. Both of these were complete year sets. I own these for less than a dollar per year, so I've got less than two bucks in this total. They sold for a combined total of $60 plus customer paid shipping, so 30 bucks each on an original investment of a dollar. These are all things that I've picked up in big lots of magazines. Again, if you can find them and bundle them up by year, I've actually done pretty well even with some partial years, making $15 or $18 sales on these. Uh, Railroad memorabilia, there's good money in it. Those train lovers are nuts for this kind of stuff. So $60 plus shipping on an investment of two bucks. This was, a, this was a nice sale on a book that I really never understood why the value of it was so high. I sat on this, actually, for quite some time. I had it listed for $99.99 because that looked like where the comps were on this. This is Bad Boy, The Life and Politics of Lee Atwater. It was a first printing hardcover with dust jacket from, I want to say, maybe the early 2000s or the late 1990s. Not hardly any of these out there, and they all brought good money. I sat on this for a very long time at $99.99 with free shipping, and I had a customer last week that reached out with an offer of $75. This was part of a big lot. I own this for $0.25, so I went ahead and took the money on that. And now, I believe this next item will be our flip of the week. Yes, Michael Jordan Space Jam oversized movie cell cards in holders. So these were produced in the 1990s when the original movie, which is the only one to watch, by the way, uh, Space Jam came out with Michael Jordan. These are essentially four by six oversized like film cells in plexiglass holders that were also in kind of felt lined individual boxes. I found these at a garage sale. Gosh, I want to say it was probably back in late July or August. The guy was asking $30 for the set of four of them. I was buying some other stuff. I got this down to about 25 bucks. I had them listed for, I believe, $124.99 plus shipping. I've had a lot of customers ask questions about these and make kind of ridiculous lowball offers by message. Um, but I finally got an offer of $110 plus shipping on these as a percentage, not necessarily a 25 cent book into 70 or yeah, into $75, but a pretty nice profit margin from $25 to 110 plus shipping for these Michael Jordan and kind of Looney Tunes. They were done by upper deck. They had a certificate of authenticity with them. They were all numbered. So it was a really nice set. Uh, again, got a lot of interest, had a ton of watchers on it, but I couldn't get anybody to bite. Finally, somebody came to me with a $110 offer, which I went ahead and took. So that is your what sold recap for last week. Um, again, I see a lot of times on Instagram and some of the other places people posting, you know, 500 and a thousand and $2,000 sales. I just really haven't had anything like that. My business is much more of a grind of a lot of, again, sub $20 stuff. 
I worry sometimes about new resellers or people thinking about getting into reselling that see those videos and think that this is going to be easy money. And if you're watching this show, um, I will remind you that it is not easy money. It is a lot of work. I have done, it is Wednesday afternoon. I've already done 100 listings this week. I'll probably do another 60 or 70 more. I've got to go over to my antique booth and do some work. So this is, it's a legit full-time job if you're if you're doing it right. And it is not, as I talked about last week, it is not all unicorns and rainbows. It is a lot, a lot of work. And it is fun and there is money to be made. But don't don't allow yourself to get caught up in the expectation that everything you pick up is going to be worth hundreds or thousands of dollars um, and that that's how this business always works because that is not, unfortunately, the case. So I'm going to jump back in uh, to the chat real quick before we close this out. Uh, Let's see here. I'm trying to find where I left off. There we go. Uh, Have fun flipping. Tim joined us. Good morning, everyone. I'm here late. That is a demerit. Tim. <laughs> uh, Jennifer, hi, how are you? Good to see you again. Uh, flipping sports guy, stop by. I appreciate it. Thanks for coming by. Every, a lot of folks just saying hi to each other here. Uh, TRB Collectibles, it being November, when a buyer makes you an offer, do you barter more now than you would the rest of the year? I actually don't. I generally, when I set up best offer, I put in a the auto decline. So the, the bottom amount that I'm willing to take. And if somebody gets to that threshold, I generally don't counter offer. I just go ahead and take it because I already had mentally prepared myself that whatever that number was, like in the case of the Michael Jordan things, 110 was my bottom number from the 124.99 listing price. So I didn't, I didn't allow myself a lot of flexibility there anyway, but once somebody hit that threshold, I went ahead and sold it, and that's not a strategy that I I personally would change for the holidays. I've because because I've already set kind of the floor, the basement for that stuff. So if you're not doing your listings that way, if you have you know an auto accept number or you don't have anything there, maybe you would want to negotiate. But I've kind of I've done that preemptively. I've already decided this is the minimum amount. I'm willing to take for this item and I'm all about turning the stuff. Once somebody hits that number, I generally will try to get that thing out of here. So no, my strategy for offers does not change during the holidays. Flipping sports guy says I personally don't, especially if it was something I've had listed for a while. Absolutely. Um, despite the way my house currently looks with all these books and all this stuff, I'm not here to collect these items. I'm here to sell them. I want to get them out the door. So uh, TRB says, I can understand that. Uh, I would want to free up space for new items. Yeah, absolutely. I have got, I've got more books than I know what to do with. I did another actually free pickup last week, um, an estate sale that I didn't even go to because I have so much stuff. The seller sent me a text last Thursday morning and said, would you be interested in coming up and cleaning out this house of books? It ended up being about 400, 450 books. Uh, that there is some really, really nice stuff in. So despite the fact that I've still got thousands of books to list, uh, I went ahead and got them. (laughs) Uh, The Michael Jordan Space Jam is better than Space Jam. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I I like LeBron, but that movie was not very good. Um, 
Beetle Owl is apparently local here. Booth is one of the best organized for books. I'm sure that took some time. It did actually take a little bit of time. I d- I'm not doing that well over there with the books, which is kind of surprising. The DVDs, I'm doing incredibly well with. Of course, they're 99 cents and $1.99, so I suppose that helps. But uh, yeah, the books have been a little bit disappointing, actually. Uh, Mom's Closets TX. I don't think I'm going to barter more. I don't have the time for that. I'm finding that people are just buying without offers lately. And that that has been the case for me, too. I do. I looked at my stats on eBay the other day, and about half of my sales actually are from offers sent one way or the other. Um, of that half, probably two-thirds are offers that I sent out from the Send Offers Eligible page in the Seller Hub, and the other third of those were from offers incoming, but about half my business right now is from best offers of some sort. The other half is just regular full-price purchases, which is obviously also always the most fun. Uh, My reseller treasurer, hello. Thank you for stopping by. I appreciate it. You're here. If you just joined, you're here right at the end. I'm about ready to wrap this thing up for today. Unless anybody has any other questions, uh, like I just mentioned, I just picked up another 450 books last week. So as is usually the case here, I have still got a ton of work to do. So with that, we're going to close it for today. I hope everybody is doing well. Again, uh, if you are not a subscriber here at the channel or to the podcast, please consider doing so. If you have watched and you feel like you've gotten something out of this, oh, there's a, still a chat on there. I am so bad at that. <laughs> uh, please smack that thumbs up button and consider subscribing. With all of that being said, it is now time to sell. Thanks, guys. You have been listening to the Galaxy CDs Rocks and Flips Reseller Talk podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in, and we will catch you again next time.